Hello and welcome to Statistically Interesting, the podcast where we interview analysts and data scientists to find out about the fascinating work that they do and how they got to where they are today. I'm your host, Jake Stein. I'm co-founder of RJ Metrics. You can find out more about me and find out about new episodes by following me on Twitter, at Jake Stein. All right, today on the show, we have Stacy Mosley, founder and CEO of FixList and former data scientist for the city of Philadelphia. Stacy tells us about how crumbling buildings led her to work in city government, how she analyzes public data to empower real estate developers, and what Wyatt Earp has to do with mortgage foreclosures. And here's our conversation. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Statistically Interesting. Uh, this is Jake Stein, and I've got a really great guest today. Uh, guest, would you mind introducing yourself? Sure. My name is Stacy Mosley, and I am the founder and CEO of a new startup called FixList. Um, we're a real estate data analysis company based out of Philadelphia, um, and I'm happy to be here today. Awesome. Yeah, I really appreciate it. And so real estate data analysis, I can imagine that meaning a bunch of different things. Uh, what, what exactly is it that you guys do? Sure. So we take a ton of open data supplied by the city of Philadelphia for public consumption and crunch all of it to give a, a data lens essentially into um, Philadelphia real estate and really with the goal of helping real estate developers, investors uh, identify properties that are in emerging parts of the city that are underutilized um, but ripe for redevelopment. And we're talking specific addresses. So thinking about the physical conditions of the property um, as well as what's happening right around it and looking at the magnitude in Philly at least of uh, 600,000 addresses. So really trying to comb through all of that information and make it easy for folks to find um, opportunities that they're looking for. And that 600,000 figure, is that the total number of like freestanding homes in Philly, or is that just the data that you guys have access to right now? Like, what does that represent? So that represents all of the addresses in the city of Philadelphia, and that's that is the estimated number. It's really 579,000 and a little bit over that. Um, but that is that that is essentially every address in the city. Oh wow. Uh, and so the difference between that and the number of people in Philadelphia, it's just made up of like apartment or multifamily homes where there's a whole bunch of people living in the same building? Absolutely. So we have about 1.6 million residents, and that's exactly three times more than the housing stock that we have. Yeah. And so how long have you been working on this company for? So I started thinking about it a few years ago and just coming up with an idea, knowing that um, these city records are kind of complicated. They come from what I would call archaic systems, even though some of them were just implemented in like the 90s. Um, and really thinking that there is no easy way to get to this information right now. Um, and so I spent a number of years just kind of dwelling on that problem and thinking about what um, what the interface would look like, what the business model would look like. And I finally uh, quit my job in October of 2015 um, and decided to work on it full time after a lot of planning. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Uh, and so October 2015, and uh, did you have any co-founders or is it is it just you? It is just me. Okay. I was searching for a co-founder for a while. Um, but I realized over time that it was within my ability to to really get things started myself. Cool. And I know you mentioned you you quit your job to to start this up. Can can you talk a little bit about like how you got 
uh, to where you are now, like uh, both school and, and past jobs? Absolutely. Uh, so I went to Northwestern um, for my undergrad, and I majored in a, a relatively new major that was happening there called Manufacturing and Design Engineering. And at the time, I was really fascinated with practical work. Um, I loved creating things, and this discipline was a, a marriage between mechanical engineering and industrial engineering. And so I really got a taste of what mass production would look like, but also, you know, how to design for a human being who's going to be using whatever product you come up with and really focusing on um, meeting their needs. And in that way, it was kind of a bit of an art and a science major, um, which I really enjoyed. So after that, I, uh, I worked at, I moved back to Philadelphia. I grew up in Levittown, just on the outskirts of Philly. Um, and I started working at Ticket Leap um, back in 20, to, uh, 2009, rather. And it was, it was my very first like, full-time job. Um, I started actually part-time as a creative consultant. And it was in the days when they were basically doubling in size. Um, I think they were one of few companies in Philadelphia to really keep growing through the recession at the time. Um, and so they were, they were taking over new office space and they needed somebody to manage the construction and like the layout and make sure the employees were relatively undisturbed as they were kind of moving around um, to new locations in the building. And so kind of building on my experience from school and like scheduling production and planning, just figuring out how to time everything to make sure hardly anyone was disrupted um, in that expansion. And the the CEO at the time, Chris Danchek, kept me on. Um, and I ended up working as the assistant manager of product development. And that was really fascinating. Um, really fascinating work being surrounded by, you know, an all-male tech team um, that was growing and really starting to learn kind of the interdisciplinary reactions between business development and the technology department and um, just kind of the, the marketing team as well. Um, and it was a really early look for me um, in my career at kind of the impacts that happen organizationally and, and kind of what to look out for. Um, but yeah, so after about a year at Ticket Leap, I ended up looking for something um, at the city of Philadelphia because they had actually, Ticket Leap had actually expanded greatly um, but went through a bit of a troubling financial time and ended up having to lay off about a third of us, a third to a half of the staff. And I was included in that. Um, and I was looking for something much more stable but was also really interesting. And so I started thinking about the government and was actually really intrigued um, by all of the built environment in Philly. Um, just taking the train around town and seeing like the backs of buildings falling apart, but not understanding why there weren't financial resources to actually tear down the building if it was that dilapidated. Um, and so I, I went to City Hall one day and I went up to the visitor center and I was just like, do you guys have an organization chart? Like, what do you, what do you do? <laughs> um, <laughs> and they didn't have one. <laughs> and... <laughs> 
I, uh, I found the head of the visitor center, though, and it turned out that her husband worked for the city, and she was just like, I'm in need of volunteers, um, and I can, I can teach you a lot about what these different departments do. So I ended up volunteering there for a couple of months before discovering um, the Department of Licenses and Inspections. And there they basically do all of the... The permitting for construction, so they have civil engineers who are looking over all of these building plans and making sure that they're actually going to be structurally stable. And then they oversee all of the inspectors that actually go out to these properties and make sure the construction is done accurately um, and then end up to code. And then they also have inspectors who go out to the buildings that are falling down um, to make sure that the neighbors are not in danger. Um, or try to protect them from being in danger. And there's just this really, they, they really play an interesting role between the private sector and um, just social well-being throughout the city. Um, the commissioner of the department at the time, Fran Burns, I met her for uh, an informational interview, which turned out to be her hiring me um, for a brand new initiative that she had. And that was the vacant property strategy. Um, which was essentially the department trying to cull through all of this data from various agencies and find where the owners of vacant properties were so that they could legally cite them um, for these physical disrepairs and take them to court because it is illegal. It, it is a danger to the public um, to have a vacant property with no doors and windows. You have those open to trespass and all kinds of squat or do drug deals or all kinds of dangerous things in these in these properties, um, and so we were we were kind of playing both the parts of of data management and code enforcement to figure out how to get these owners to actually fix things up. Um, and so that was that was essentially three years of of my my life with the city um, from 2010 to 2013. Um, but but yeah, so I ended up working for the tech department next because I had helped L&I uh, open up a lot of their data and it was really kind of revolutionary for the city at the time. Um, 2012, Mark Head had been appointed the new chief data officer um, and he was, he was only the second person in the country to be given that title. Um, so Philly was really kind of on the cutting edge of open data at the time and so was so was L and I kind of as a part of that, um, and so I was given kind of an open invitation to move over to OIT, uh, the Office of Innovation and Technology, and there it was just like this treasure trove of technologists, and I I hadn't been surrounded by technologists in such a long time since Ticket Leap, um, but it was on a whole other level, um, just talking about these old dinosaurs of uh, government, <laughs> government data management and kind of also being in the group that was on the cutting edge um, was fascinating. So, so yeah, I, I spent two more years working on open data, um, working to help other agencies release their records to the public, and, and then I finally left. And, and when you were working on open data, were you, like, actually, like... Um pulling the data out of those archaic systems and packaging them up for distribution or like what, what did you, 
what do you do when you're working on open data for for the city of Philadelphia? Yeah, um, so we did manage to make our way into working with like mainframes. Um, there nice. are whole teams of people who <laughs> manage these mainframes for the finance department and the revenue department, and they were able to finally actually get uh, connections to pipe information from those mainframes into uh, the services that we were using. So we ended up investing in Socrata, which is a which is a a tool that a lot of cities utilize for open data. That's kind of their specialty. Um, and through Socrata, what happens is you're able to pipe the data into Socrata and then it makes it available in several different downloadable formats as well as APIs um, where applications can actually interact with the information. So you have JSON and um, CSVs and um, API, API formats that are all available. Um, and so we were we were working with those systems, and then we were also working with you know folks that were putting data into spreadsheets and trying to help pipe that information into Socrata. Um, really looking at departments who don't necessarily have a lot of technical resources um, or the budget to have technical resources, and helping them with their data management as well. Hmm. And and does so Socrata? It sounds like it, it's like it powers the portal that the city uses to distribute the data to the public or whoever wants access to it. Is that the right way to think about it? Yeah. Um, and it's one of two that we use. So there's Socrata and then for a lot of our spatial information, which there's a significant amount of, um, that's all through the ArcGIS platform. So they also have an open data platform um, for spatial data. Got it. And, and do those two tools... Do they have plugins into like the mainframes or the other old systems, or is someone, either you or someone else in the OIT, writing code to pull from the old school mainframe and push to like the Socrata API? So we did end up investing in a certain tool, and I'm forgetting the name of it. Um, that was more of a GUI system um, to that would connect to those kinds of uh, databases and a variety of databases, as well as even like Google spreadsheets. Um, but there were certainly varieties of databases that we we did write special code for. Um, I think for the GIS team in particular, they've written custom code for, for pulling information out of the systems as well. And do you have to do like... Um, I guess is there data cleaning work to do before you can distribute it, or is the once you get it into the right format and into the right system, is it basically ready to go and be be published? There's definitely cleaning, um, and that is very specific to the agency. I, it kind of is a de it it depends on what kind of personal information there might be, or for example, um, with the data set like expenditures, which I don't believe is out just yet. Um, if information about social security numbers is captured in free text fields, well, you have to figure out how to programmatically clean that before it's actually distributed or whether or not you're going to include that field at all. And that was just an example of one of, uh, one of many of conversations we had with departments figuring out, okay, what is, what is really um, of the best use to the public while at the same time not 
potentially putting anyone in danger of any kind. Oh, interesting. What, uh, how would the open data put, potentially put somebody in danger? Um, well, one example that I'm not particularly happy about um, was when Elle and I actually published their information, they went through a very long review process with other departments um, asking other departments to look at the data before it was released. Um, and it was also being released in conjunction with our department website being updated. And we had we had appeals information about firearms. So people who had been denied firearm permits um, that were appealing so that they could actually obtain or for, or for any other appeal um, that we had, you know, the description of their request with the appeal and other information related to it go out. Um, and it was immediately taken down as soon as it was public um, because a lot of people thought that it would be a danger, um, that if you had, you know, the reason that somebody was getting a gun and or trying to obtain a gun and um, the location of that person, that that could potentially put the, the individual in danger or that the neighbors might um, react. So there was a whole class action lawsuit, actually, that resulted from that. And it was a huge, it was a huge lesson that was learned in the process um, about the vetting of the data, and that it may not even necessarily be, um, you know, something that's just the responsibility of a single department releasing that information. It may be the responsibility of several other agencies um, also reviewing the information to make sure that it can go out. And yeah, it really, it really created. Um, a sense of accountability and that's something that we tried to formalize well we did formalize as we as we went on hmm. and what what was the difference in the process of that that review before releasing the data like what changed after that event in in the review process well we we tried to systematize everything um, we first started creating a process by which the whole agency would would try to figure out, okay, what information do we have? And then just kind of an initial assessment of, is that information something that that is um, that might have security issues around it? You know, are there HIPAA laws? Are there um, are there criminal justice laws that prohibit this data from being public? And those are completely valid. Um, are those are there other laws that we may not be recognizing but may potentially apply? Um, so there's an initial assessment kind of putting together the inventory of information that's available or even just collected. Um, and then as people move down the pipeline of then trying to release data, that gets that goes through more and more reviews um, and not just within the department but having other stakeholders review the information before it goes live. Yeah, and it's it, it reminds me like I think there's uh, there's a natural <coughs> tendency for people in the private sector to think like oh man why doesn't the government move faster why don't you let the data out sooner but this data has a lot of potential downsides and it's tough I imagine for something that like this that's never been done before um, you know with you don't you don't even know what the potential downside could be uh, and then you're trying to get it out there but. Uh, 
there's this risk that no one even saw until you you, you got bit in the butt by it. But so right. uh, that's tough. <laughs> well, and it was again that was that was 2012. That was brand. That was when open data was just starting to get off the ground in Philly. Um, and yeah, I I think it's made a positive that's hopefully going to last institutionally. And thinking about, uh, so you, you talked about, you know, getting the data out of the old systems, cleaning it up. Uh, were you or the team you were on responsible for actually doing analysis with the data as well, or you're primarily focused on just making it available to other people? Yeah, so we were primarily focused on releasing it. And there were data sets that we tried to make more um, user-friendly, creating visualizations to enhance the experience and make it possible for people who don't use spreadsheets or do data crunching to get a sense of the significance of the information. Um, so it was it was mainly a a function of publishing. And do you think uh, well, like it, when you're getting this data out there, is there a, a target user or a target consumer of that data? Because I imagine just like you were saying, some you know, some people are not going to put it into a spreadsheet or not going to put it into, you know, uh, a GIS program. Uh, but, you know, you want to give the people who are super sophisticated all the power that they want. You want to make it accessible to a lot of people. So how do you judge those trade-offs about uh, how much and how you present the, the data to people? We actually put together a whole portion of the process where we solicited public feedback, and we were we were trying to bring together different different captains of industry from across the city to inform what data sets might be meaningful to them. So we formed an open data working group. Um, we had folks from the healthcare community, the academic community, um, certainly like the Chamber of Commerce. Um, just general general industries citywide um, consulting, reflecting on what utility these data sets would have. So we would we would create these inventories of what each department actually collected, and then go to review with this with this group, um, so that we would try to get a better understanding of what would be valuable to the public, and that we would be spending our time. Um, on these more meaningful things. And that, that was a really great um, exercise and a really great way for us to hone in on things. But um, it is still very, it's a very new frontier. Um, and that's partly why I really wanted to participate in this, this new arena myself, um, building a, a product using open data, because there is so much that can be derived from it. Um, but it's not something people really think about very readily. Um, so, so it has, I think there's still a bit of a struggle trying to get people to, to look at this information and kind of ask themselves what other applications there might be. Yeah. And are there particular applications or projects or analyses that leveraged a public data set that, are among your favorites or anything that you think had the the biggest positive impact out of all the data that that was opened up? Yeah, I think PHL Crime Mapper is frankly one of my favorites. Uh, that was built by Dave Walk, who also worked for the city previously um, on the GIS team and then on the open data team. And 
it is really just kind of build your own boundary and look at a certain frame of time and you can see all of these major crime incidents that have occurred around you or in a, in the given area um, and what types of crimes they were. And I think it's a, it's a really eye-opening tool for people who are interested in moving into a new neighborhood or um, are currently living in a certain neighborhood to, to see kind of those activities that they might not be directly interacting with. Um, so that was, that's definitely one of my favorites. And then I think there's a ton that Lauren Ancona has produced. She does beautiful, beautiful work um, where one of them is a, a health assessment um, statistical tool that kind of shows you year over year and during parts or across parts of the city, you know, what health factors are moving are, are certain cities healthier than others and why um, and she has great design expertise to to kind of bring that to light for folks are there any uh, data sets that you've been surprised haven't been used yet like something that you thought where there's a lot of potential that nobody's actually sees it yet I think there's a lot of potential in the contract data hmm. um, so there's there's contract information um, quarterly contract information that's released and that has information about suppliers and you know what departments are purchasing uh, what supplies and what services and this is all the city purchasing stuff exactly okay. um, and I think it's a really it's it's a really interesting data set that might help enlighten um, the community about like where information is flowing and what it's flowing into and and we do have the budget but i think when you start getting down to you know exact contracts it is it's kind of fascinating to also think about like the social environment in which the city operates so you know who who is at the head of that company you know does that company offer money to certain council people like I think there's really interesting ways to tie in campaign finance with the financials of the city that haven't yet been explored um, and both for the purposes of of kind of revealing those pathways and channels but also you know for a newcomer who might be interested in getting involved in the game where is the money coming from and going yeah, one of my colleagues, uh, Ben Garvey, um, when Brett Mandel was running for controller, uh, he built a data visualization based off the budget data, which I think might be the closest thing to, to what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, but uh, he was able to show some some very interesting and in some cases scary statistics about just like how much the city is spending on typewriter repair mm -hmm. uh, or, um, you know, some pretty insanely expensive pizza parties that were thrown, <laughs> right? Um, which are funny, but it's also sometimes scary. But yeah, I imagine once you get the actual contract data, there's probably a lot more detail and interesting stuff they can get out of it. Oh, yeah. Millions of dollars. <laughs> yeah. Um, hmm. and, and so the, the work of opening up the data of a city, how, how bounded is it? Like, is it something where, you know, you're working on it for a couple of years, uh, is 10% of the city's data open now? Is it 90%? Like, where are we in that process? Wow. Um, so I think it would be very hard for me to put a percentage on it just because we only got to speak to a certain number of departments in the first place. And I think we, we talked to some of the, you know, heaviest hitters and collectors of information 
Um, for example, the fire department, which is a huge, thousands of employees, huge department, collects information of all kinds. Um, and they had well over 100 data sets um, that they actually collect. And trying to release all of that is going to take a very long time. And some of it may not even be of interest or relevance to the public. Um, things. I'm, I'm not thinking of an example right off the top of my head. Um, but some of the other data sets, like, you know, where smoke alarms have been installed or um, where the fire incidents have actually occurred, like that information that is more interesting, we certainly made an effort to publish. Um, so percentage-wise, I can't, I would say it's a very small fraction, but at the same time, we are a city that's really doing a lot of this work um, and compared to other cities nationwide, we've, we've released a tremendous amount of, of data. Um, so we're, we're only just beginning. I think that's probably the best answer. Um, and the whole country and like across the world, cities are just beginning to do this. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to take a while and it's also going to take the modernization of data collection systems to actually make it easier to release the information too. And once a certain data set is published, is the work pretty much done or is there a pretty high maintenance burden in order to maintain it and keep it refreshed? So fortunately, um, Socrata and ArcGIS and um, some of the other tools that we invested in help automate that process. But when you do have um, some of the less, uh, less supported data sets like the Excel files, things that are more manually man maintained, those usually require um, more effort to get the information from an individual within a department. Um, and that required a lot of relationship building and maintaining those relationships to get that information updated on a, on a regular basis. So there's, there's a bit of a balance, but we were definitely moving towards uh, more automation. And I know you mentioned that Philadelphia is, you know, a leader among cities in terms of how much data and how early we started working on this. What about in terms of number of people working on the pro uh, problem? Do you know if we have similar size staffs uh, tackling this compared to other cities of a similar size? Hmm. Um, so I've seen kind of a variety of different staffing situations. I mean, New York and Chicago, they are much bigger cities than we are. Um, they have whole analytic teams um, dedicated to not just the the opening up of the data, but then the the analysis of the information, um, which is really impressive. And our GIS team um, serves a huge role for that as a as kind of a parallel for our city. Um, and they were also very much tied to our open data efforts. So I would say. Philadelphia, we probably have between the GIS team and the open data team about a dozen um, that really actively work on it um, on a monthly basis. But then we have employees throughout the city that are supporting open data through their own departments. And so that easily expands to 50 or so um, because of those connections and the technical people that are embedded there. Um, I think for the other cities much more, um, just knowing from our economic situation compared to other cities, we're, we're frequently using um, as, 
doing as much as we can with as little as we have. Um, so it would be amazing to see more more people dedicated to it. And uh, when you started, was the, the team pretty much the same as when you left or did it grow over time? So when I started, it was Mark Head, myself, and Tim Wisniewski. And shortly after that, um, Dave Walk came over from the GIS team to join us. And since then, we really created that partnership with, with the whole GIS team to, to support it. Um, so from that point, we lost, we ended up losing Mark Head, um, Tim Wisniewski, Tim Wisniewski became chief data officer, and I was able to kind of hire an, an intern and another employee, another data scientist. Um, so we grew a little bit, but I think kind of with the new administration, things have contracted a little, um, partly with my departure, um, but also with some organizational changes that have been happening. So it's it's expanded in the sense of the GIS team also being a huge component of it. The dedicated like open data team is still relatively small. And, and yeah, I'm curious in terms of the timing of your you deciding to leave and, and start FixList, uh, did that have anything to do with the transition from the Netter administration uh, that leaving or, or why did you decide to, to leave then? Yeah, so I had been thinking for a while that I wanted to start my own company and it did kind of line up with the Nutter administration. I mean, I certainly had um, some feelings about being with the city for five years and not wanting to be a lifer. Um, <laughs> I wanted to, you know, do my tour of duty and get back into the private sector. And I really didn't want to stay away from the private sector too long. I wanted to make sure I could come back and compete with the best of them. Um, and so I, I left, not necessarily because of the administration, but the timing was, was right. Um, and it's been interesting to see, it's been interesting to see a new mayor come in. Um, I came into the third year of another administration and it felt like there was opportunity to make change, but not necessarily that everything was figured out. Um, and with a new mayor in office and kind of all of the changes that are happening across these agencies, it's very interesting to see from an outside perspective now, like all of the communication channels that need to be rebuilt and who is the bearer of information and who did they share it with and are those people now getting that same information and how are the mechanics changing of how these departments work together. Um, it's it's very different, and I feel like that kind of slows things down for a while. Um, and I was also anticipating that things would slow down because of it, but I think I was only thinking it would take a few months. But I I see now, or I'm witnessing um, that it will probably take much longer for those connections to be rebuilt, um, and that that significantly impacts how much you're capable of doing. Um, just based upon your own network in a very large organization like that with tens of thousands of employees. Um, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't interested in being a part of the slowing down. <laughs> yeah, it's totally understandable. And I can, I can imagine that starting your own company, uh, you're probably operating at a completely different velocity <laughs> right now. Um, is that actually the case? 
Yeah. Um, so I've, I've been learning a ton. I've been building every day. And if I'm not building and working on the technology, I am doing all sorts of research now and learning about marketing, which is something I wouldn't have gotten an opportunity to do otherwise. Um, so I feel, I feel like things are moving really quickly and I'm really excited to keep the momentum going and, and expand to other cities. Um, and it's, it's kind of opening up all different other channels of relationships with people, of course, in an industry that I was not a part of previously. And I'm filling in a very specific niche um, that relates to finance and also relates to social policy on the other side. Um, and I'm filling a void amidst all of that. But there's so much for me to learn that are kind of universal um, disciplines that I, I now have people who I can draw upon um, to learn more about. Hmm. And FixList seems to me like it, uh, the, when you said the, the reason that you got into city government in the first place was, you know, you're looking at these crumbling buildings and trying to understand what was going on. I, I mean, has that, is the, the kernel of what you're trying to do at FixList pretty similar to what you were interested in, you know, however many years ago you, you went into City Hall to try to find out what was up? Absolutely. I was very excited to jump back into the private sector and actually help the private sector um, basically amplify um, the impact that I was making with the city. Because the city only has so many tools and laws at their disposal and so many resources to try and solve the problem and incent these owners to actually um, fix up these buildings or, or sell them. And I was really excited and I'm still very excited about the idea of putting this information in the private sector's hands and the people who have the assets to transform these properties um, and really helping them find those diamonds in the rough or the, the rough parts in in the diamond areas, um, to, to do that just on a, a completely different scale. And um, I'm, I'm very interested in seeing what the numbers look like after, after uh, more people start using the tool. And how does the tool actually work? Like, are you plugging into those same open data sources that your team helped to make available? Or, or what exactly does it do? So I pull together well over a dozen uh, data sets from the city to a single database, but then I transform a lot of the data to actually identify like what the current physical condition of a property is um, and how accessible the owner might be based upon indications of, of how well they're paying their taxes. Are they violations? Are they doing any work on the property? Um, and really helping helping a user then interact with that information through a map-based interface um, and filters where they can say, okay, I'm interested in in this neighborhood that are zoned for multifamily use and are this big um, and are vacant or are coming up for sheriff sale and then start seeing statistically, okay, how does one address compare to another in terms of its redevelopment potential. And that is a score that I'm, I'm modeling um, based upon investment activities, 
and um, financial situations of the neighborhood and physical situations of the neighborhood and the block level and the property itself um, to come up with that score. And I know you've only been working on it for like about eight months now, but are there any um, properties uh, that you know that FixList has been used to redevelop that you're particularly proud of? So I know of a few addresses that people are are trying to acquire as as a reflection of the the data. Um, there's I I don't know the exact addresses off the top of my head, but in Germantown, for example, um, there's a developer Ken Weinstein who specializes in commercial data uh, commercial properties and has found a number of vacant commercial properties along that corridor to try to push to auction at sheriff sale that he can then acquire. Um, usually these properties take some extra care and time to, to obtain just because the owner isn't necessarily actively listing the property for sale. And so there are all of these different measures that you can take legally outside of um, just getting in touch with the owner themselves um, and usually they take a little bit more time. So, so yeah, because it's relatively new, I haven't seen an address yet completely renovated. Um, but the first steps of the process in acquiring those properties, people are, people are starting to have success with. That's great. And what does the, the tech stack look like? What, like, what is it built on? So the database is a PostGIS database, and it's really flexible. I love PostGIS. Uh, the more that I've gotten to know it, it's my best friend. Um, <laughs> and then there's uh, the application, which is built on uh, Python and JavaScript, and of course, like HTML, CSS. But the statistical analysis is both done in PostGIS and in R. Um, so those are my primary languages. Got it. And are the you said the the twelve data sets that you're using uh, to to power the analysis are those all from the city of Philadelphia? Or are those coming from somewhere else as well? They're all all from the city. Um, things like tax balances, uh, last sales information, property assessments, construction permits, uh, violations, all sorts of stuff. And what do you think about for the, the future? Are there different data sets you'd like to use or functionality you'd like to add to the product? Yeah. Um, so one of the data sets that I would love to incorporate but isn't, isn't easily released, and I'm not sure how soon it would be, um, but municipal liens are, are a huge barrier for people who are looking to invest in something that's, that's probably pretty dilapidated. Um, these liens are usually because the city has gone in and had to clean and seal the building or maybe they've been supplying water and it hasn't been um, paid off or the property was demolished. And depending on which administration these activities happened in, those costs could be anywhere from $30,000 to you know, $17,000 for a demolition. And those hidden costs can be a huge deterrent for people. So it's one of the data sets I'd really like to um, see can give people a, a more complete picture of the financial risk involved. And, and is your time now spent mostly on developing new features and incorporating new data, or are you mostly marketing it? Like, how, how do you split your time today? Today, it's mainly marketing. I am trying to uh, just go full force with customer acquisition, but at the same time, I do have a few features that are in development and a pipeline for things like 
CSV exporting so people can do mail merges, um, as well as email notifications for you know weekly email digests of what properties meet your criteria but are now coming up for auction at share sale. Um, make it really easy for people to have that information in their hands. Um, and definitely looking at my second city. So right now starting to, to put a data model together um, for Chicago and try to try to replicate the model um, and figure out all of that piping that goes into it. Hmm. And why Chicago rather than any other city? So Chicago has excellent open data. Um, Tom Shank is their chief data officer over there. And he and I actually had spoken together about um, vacancy analysis way back in the day when I was at OIT. Um, so I know that they've got good people working on it and their data is refreshed pretty regularly. And then it's also, it's also a top five city um, that has real economic needs similar to Philadelphia, that there are these blighted properties, but it's, it's got a population of over 2 million um, individuals and have lots of people flocking to the city um, to live there again. So it's got the same kind of economic need and the magnitude. And uh, you may not know the answer to this yet, but if you had to guess, what would be city number three or four? Um, I'm looking at DC and Baltimore. Baltimore, of course, is is significantly smaller, um, but also kind of share that general economic profile um, of having more people coming to the city, but there being a lot of disrepair. And you mentioned that Chicago uh, refreshes their data pretty frequently. Like, what what is the data latency for Philadelphia or for Chicago? Like how often does that get updated? Some of the data sets are updated as frequently as daily. And then there are others that are biweekly. Um, but it's really the daily refreshes that help make that I've developed um, really viable. And so that is something that I really am focused on. Um, that's a huge piece of my criteria in evaluating these other cities is is the latency. Got it. And what, what latency is too much? Is anything more than daily really problematic or how, how high is too high? Um, and you're saying less frequently than daily? Yeah. How, how, how infrequently is too infrequently? I guess another way to put it. I would say quarterly is probably mm. too infrequent. Um, I think real estate moves relatively slowly. So once you've acquired a property, then having building permits approved or even developed before they're approved. Um, there are many months in that process. And so I think quarterly is probably enough to manage that kind of a timeline and still have it be relevant for users. And what's the scale of the data that you're working with? Like all, if you looked at all the data you have in that Postgres database for Philadelphia, is that like a million rows or 10 million rows of data or 10,000 rows of data? Like roughly how big is it? So each data set varies, but it, it usually varies between a quarter of a million to um, like a, a million and a half. I would say that the violation data is by far the biggest um, data also is significantly <laughs> large. Um, and it, it's been surprising to 
develop these refresh sequences with, you know, the baseline of about a million records and finding some of the sequence to be taking too long or like timing out sometimes when I'm updating the database. Um, and this was back when I was just developing the pipeline of, of how the update, uh, how the update sequence was carried out. Um, but really thinking that's not that many records, a million records seems like nothing. Um, but really trying to get clever then with how that information is updated. Um, that took a significant amount of time, um, mm. and iteration. <laughs> I'm sure. And you mentioned, I think the term was a share sale. I realize I don't actually know what that means. A sheriff sale. Sheriff sale. Okay. What is that? Yeah. So the sheriff sale is the auction at which properties that are not, well, properties that are tax delinquent on their real estate taxes are auctioned off so that the city can recoup that inform that, um, those financial assets. So if a if an owner hasn't been paying taxes for five years, the revenue department can push the the property to sheriff sale and get that get those dollars back. Um, there's also mortgage foreclosures that happen at sheriff sale where similar situation with a bank, if somebody's going delinquent on their mortgage, the the mortgage provider, can actually auction off the property to recoup those, recoup those dollars. Do we actually have a sheriff in Philadelphia? Yes, we do. <laughs> um, I think it's Jewel Williams right now. Um, it is a very controversial office. Someone ran, John Cromer, who is a University of Pennsylvania professor, actually ran for sheriff with the purpose and intent of abolishing it. <laughs> Um, abolishing the whole process, um, but yeah, we do. And, and you know, the thing in my head for sheriff is obviously like Wyatt Earp. Um, <laughs> this sounds significantly less fun. Uh, what, what what do people people who don't agree with the current system? What do they want to replace it with? Um, I'm not actually sure. There are. There are significant challenges with the current sheriff sale process. There have been periods of Philadelphia's history where, for example, um, Ed Rendell ended up selling a, a lot of real estate tax liens to private companies who now have the authority to um, collect on those dollars. And it kind of puts the city in a, a in a difficult way because we don't necessarily then have the power to say, okay, we want to take this exact address to auction um, because it's this private company that can say that now. So there have been challenges um, with it, but I don't necessarily know what the alternative is. Okay. I mean, something I'm hoping involving Doc Holliday or someone else from the <laughs> old West would be a, the ideal solution from my perspective. <laughs> right. um, cool. Is there... Anything that I didn't ask you that you think would be interesting to talk about, about either FixList or anything you've worked on in the past? Um, so I think, I think I, I personally was thinking of the question of like, why work for government? Um, oh, yeah. why, why do that kind of work? And for me, there are a couple of facets to it. Um, I personally feel aware having worked for the government and living in the city to know what 
powers are at hand um, and are changing and shaping um, the city that I live in and how that impacts me. Um, I think that's a really interesting inside opportunity um, to not only understand even just a fraction of how it works, because I certainly do not know how every department functions. There are so many unanswered questions that I have, but I think it was very eye-opening. It makes me feel a lot more connected to other people in the city, even the people that I am not, um, that I've never met, just knowing a little bit more about the different economic situations and who is trying to help you know, people in North Philly or who um, is managing the people who pave our streets. Like that's really, really interesting. And, and I think um, it's something that a lot of people should, should get to know better. Um, and it's also kind of like a tour of duty. I think it's an opportunity to, to try and make a difference in the city that you live in um, and the country that you live in while you're young and innovative and can really see things or want to see change. Um, and I think that's a, that's a really important thing to also contribute to your society. And certainly people do that in the private sector too, but I think government is usually such a slow changing beast that, um, that surge of young blood helps a lot. (laughs) Um, and there's also a lot of opportunity. Like I was talking about all of those archaic systems, they need to be replaced and there's going to be whole new frontiers and lots of lots of money to replace them. And if you were talking to a young person right now who uh, wanted to get into city government, do you think a data scientist in the OIT would be still top of your list? Or if you were starting over right now, would you, you think you'd go somewhere else? I would still recommend finding a department to work for specifically. I think it really makes a difference being embedded in an agency. And that could be, I think, the the perspective of being an analyst and getting into an analytical role in some of these agencies is really a great way to learn about the departments themselves because you go through the whole process of understanding what the current way of doing things are and then how how can you actually make that better? And statistically, what challenges are they facing that they may not even realize? Um, so there's a lot of room for change through through the lens of analysis. Um, but definitely, in order to build the relationships, I think it's best to start with a department. And do you think there's any chance that you'll get back into city government at some point in the future? Yeah, I could I could see that happening. I think through this company, like I was saying earlier, I'm really intrigued by what I can learn about finance now and about kind of the social policies um, that impact the way things are currently. And that's that's information I would love to then draw upon to make change again in the future through government. Um, so yeah, it's it's certainly certainly a possibility down the road. Um, is there anything that you want to make sure that people check out, either a product or a service or a job posting somewhere, either for, for your company or anywhere else? I am definitely looking for someone who has back-end development experience and an interest in both statistical analysis but, um, but urban planning. I think there's 
a really interesting marriage of these two things that I'm doing with FixList. Um, and I will be looking to grow my team as I expand to other cities. So PostGIS, Python, R experience, all of these things um, on the technical side, but then certainly just personal interest on um, the revitalization of cities. I'll be looking for someone with that mixture. Um, yeah. That's awesome. And is there a job posting up right now that someone could check out? Or what should, they, what should someone do if they're interested in that? If they're interested, they can email me at mosley at fixlist.co. And that's spelled M-O-S-L-E-Y at fixlist.co. Um, that, that is the, the best way right now. There is no job of, uh, official job posting just yet. And anywhere else people should go to learn more about you, like your Twitter handle or any other personal websites? Yeah. So on Twitter, I am at Stacy Mosley. And the, the site itself, um, to check out FixList, I I'm, have been adding more content to it and will hopefully be doing things like quarterly reports in the future as well. Um, so, yeah. Cool. Yeah, everyone, I, uh, I'm on fixlist.co right now. I'm checking it out. I would definitely recommend everybody else do the same. Uh, Stacy, this has been really great. I really appreciate you talking with me. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to Statistically Interesting. This podcast is produced by me and Ryan Williams at RJ Metrics HQ, which is right across the street from City Hall in sunny Philadelphia. If you like what you heard, be sure to hit the subscribe button so you'll never miss an episode and rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts.